Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guests are Lou Lopez, Vice President of Diversity Practice at Sinovate, and Wayne Eady, who is Vice President at the Magazine Publishers of America. Today we will discuss Sinovate's recent telephone survey of magazine readers. Wayne is responsible for initiating and implementing new research programs and methodologies to measure the impact of magazines in the multimedia mix. He spearheads new advertising accountability and effectiveness studies and oversees all marketing research activities for the organization. Prior to joining MPA in 2001, Wayne was Vice President of Global Advertising Research for Reader's Digest joined Reader's Digest in May 1997 as Director of Advertising Research and Development for the magazine's U.S. edition. Prior to that, he spent 15 years at Newsweek, most recently as Director of Research and Development. He began his career at Gray Advertising and later held research management positions at Business Week and Family Weekly. Serving the magazine research community on many fronts, Wayne has been on the MPA Research Committee and the Publishers Information Bureau, PIB Council, where he was chairman of the Technical Advisory Committee for many years. He serves as president of PIB and is active on the Advertising Research Foundation Magazine Research Council. He is a board member of the Media Ratings Council Lou is a researcher and strategist with more than a decade of experience helping Fortune 500 companies understand the Hispanic and African American markets. He has shared insights into the behaviors and attitudes of multicultural consumers with advertising and publishing companies, including the largest Spanish language publication in the U.S. and the leading media brand for African American women. Lou worked with Vibe magazine conducting research for the launch of Vixen, a new magazine for women of color. At Essence, he worked with senior management to develop new avenues of research on African American women. During a project with People in Espanol, he took a magazine-specific study and obtained the participation of Time Warner subsidiaries such as AOL, Warner Brothers, CNN, Warner Music, and HBO. At Time, Inc., Lou provided strategic and consumer insights for Southern Living, Cooking Light, Southern Accents, and Coastal Living magazines. At the Bravo Group, he worked to uncover key insights that led to the successful launch of V8 Splash in the Hispanic market. He has also worked with L'Oreal, Estee Lauder, Procter & Gamble, Unilever, General Motors, and Ford. Lou attended college at Princeton University and obtained his MBA from Cornell University's Johnson Graduate School of Management. Wayne and Lou, welcome. Thank you. Thanks. You recently conducted a survey of 901 magazine readers in the U.S. How did this project get started? Let's start at the beginning. Well, I think when we began the project earlier this year, um, the challenges facing Hispanic magazines were pretty clear to us. Um, how to get the unique strengths of, of Hispanic magazines recognized in a media world long dominated by broadcast, and how to demonstrate conclusively that Hispanics do read and that they're engaged with what they read and that there are clear benefits to advertisers um, that come out of this equation as well. Um, it seemed to be a, a common goal for all Hispanic magazines to kind of um, get together um, with that interest and we formed a, a sponsoring group that was willing uh, to make it happen. That included uh, 10 um, sponsoring publication companies that uh, typically compete with each other in the Hispanic market. Um, and they, in this effort, got together in a common goal and a common good, which uh, I think has benefited all of them in the long run. How was the idea born? Was, did this come from any individual magazine, or was it through the association? It actually came from two separate magazine companies that came to us, um, one that was uh, very much expanding in the, uh, in the U.S. and wanted a uh, partnership uh, with an organization like ours to do some original research to get their name out there and to uh, you know show... Uh, that, uh, that they were a player in the U.S. 
and at the same time one of the uh, larger uh, players in the in the market that uh, had been doing some of their own research wanted very much to do something a, a little bit different and get together with uh, our organization to to add some credibility to uh, to the research that uh, that they did going forward uh, much more so than they were able to get on their own and we kind of put the two together um, and it just sort of snowballed and uh, all of a sudden we got more and more that wanted to be part of it and we needed to spend some serious money to do this um, so we needed to to get a financial basis of support which we ended up getting exactly what we needed in, in the uh, the funds to not only do the research but to do the road show and the promotion and the PR and the rest of it. So it, it truly came out of a uh, a common good that, that started with a few people and it just seemed to add credibility if we could get ultimately 10 sponsoring companies together um, in the common good. It, it's pretty hard not to go to see a presentation that's being co-sponsored by 10 competitors uh, just to be able to see what they can agree on. When you say Hispanic magazines, are you talking about Spanish language or English language or both? Both. Um, we, we started with uh, Spanish language, uh, and we thought that was the direction we needed to go, but it became clear to us that it wasn't a much, as much about language as it was about uh, context uh, and environment. And uh, we ended up with uh, with one Latina uh, magazine that that joined us, that publishes largely in English. They are bilingual, but but largely English. Um, and it didn't seem to matter um, what the the direction was on language. It it was very much about uh, content, relevance, and an environment that Hispanics responded to. How many members does the association have? There are ten. Um, along with the MPA and uh, uh, another uh, publishing company that's more newspaper-based than magazines uh, that uh, joined us as well. But uh, the rest are, uh, are magazine companies, um, either single or multiple titles. Um, they range from People to Selecciones and Meredith Hispanic Ventures and Editorial Televisa, Ogar, Latina, and ARP, um, and Muvelo and the uh, National Association of uh, Hispanic Publishers out of Washington, D.C. They all came together. Uh, we had support also from uh, AHA that was very interested in what we were doing, and though they didn't become a sponsoring member, they were very supportive in working with us at the early stages and in being able to showcase it after we've done it. Now, th these are all, except for the non-magazine organizations like AHA and the Publishers Group, the, the others are all MPA members, right? No, they're not. Interestingly enough, um, a couple of them are not, um, and I think they are going to become, as a result of this, MPA members. And it was not a criteria uh, going into this. We were an equal member um, of the sponsoring group as all the others where we put you know, our money in it at the same level of everyone else. And that really was our role was more of a facilitator to conduct the research and do the research since we were kind of media neutral, if you will. Um, the others all were had publishing interests, so we were the logical ones to add our name to it. Uh, and we did it much as a individual partnership and a facilitator that we went back to a steering committee on the regular critical elements to. to have them look at questionnaire and have them look at getting involved in the supplier designation and all those key elements in doing a project like this. But everybody funded it equally, and uh, and we were a player like everyone else uh, in that regard. How many members does MPA, how many member magazines or publishing organizations does MPA have? Oh, MPA is, is a much broader organization. Uh, we've got... Uh, I think there's something like 1,200 titles in the uh, in the MPA membership roster. And about what percentage of those ballpark would you say represent Hispanic magazines? Very small at this point. Uh, I don't know the the percent offhand, but uh, it's it's clearly a 
very small part of the MPA's initiative, but an important one. I mean, if you look at Hispanics as a demographic rather than as a single market, uh, it's the fastest growing segment of the U.S. population. Um, it's pretty hard to ignore um, that kind of growth uh, for any publisher. And I think the growth in Hispanic titles, if you go back just a few years ago, there were something like 55 magazines in the consumer marketplace uh, targeting Hispanics. I think it's up to 113 now uh, in just a few years. So it's clearly an area that many of our publishing uh, members are looking at and some that are actually acting upon and, and starting to come out with content in that area. So it's an important area for us to, to explore, certainly. And of course, this is part of the reason, I imagine, why you decided to respond to these requests. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it, it just seemed to be a an opportunity to provide value to our members uh, and also explore a growth segment of the population uh, in, in a lot more depth than has been able to have been done so far. What did you do next, Wayne? So now you have reached this point where you have buy-in from the organization, from your members, and even from some outside organizations. What did you do at that point? Well, we needed a, um, a, a large and impressive piece of research to make our case. Um, the proof is in the numbers, they say, and, and we had the need for uh, research that would be well-executed, convincing, and conducted by a very reputable name in the marketplace. And after we auditioned six companies, we chose Cinevate to do the research and tell the story for us. Um, and that's been certainly a an excellent experience that we've been very happy with. Lou's been a, a true partner in this in, in every stage. And when you can get the supplier to take it out on the on the road and present with you uh, coming from the people who did it. I mean, that's a real special relationship that we just have experienced in a very, very positive way. What criteria did you set out? I, I imagine that you gave Lou and Sinovate as your research representative basic guidelines as to what you were looking for and, of course, a budget. What parameters did you establish for the study? Well, like I had said, the you know, the onus was we initially had looked at doing more of a, a media mix modeling type of approach study that's very commonly used in the in the general market, and it it basically does a review of um, working with an individual client um, and their advertising to look at what worked and didn't work across media. And the idea there was to, to try to make the case for more magazines in the mix. It, very, it became very apparent to us very quickly that um, we were running into two situations. One, we found a difficulty in finding, finding a client that was willing to share um, proprietary data, which needed to be done in, in a partnership kind of a case history approach. And secondly, we found it difficult to find people, even if they were interested in doing it, that had enough activity going on in the magazine sector that you could get a good read from it. So we very quickly realized that we needed to take a step backward, that it wasn't about more magazines in the mix. It was about any magazines in the mix. We really made, needed to make the case that Hispanics you know, were readers and were involved and engaged. And engagement is, is the hot topic in the general market today, and we used engagement questions that we had uh, incorporated from a battery that we had done with Northwestern University and some general market work several years ago so that we could do the first Hispanic engagement study by looking at some of the uh, key elements of, of engagement with magazines. And clearly, we find a, a very different uh, kind of engagement and involvement with magazines. Um, and I think it's different than Hispanics are engaged with other media as well. Um, and that was one of the interesting things that came out of this study is, is we had some data that really was breaking ground. Um, there's always been the feeling that, yeah, people respond differently and all of that, but we didn't have the hard numbers to put against it. And that's what was new and innovative, I think, from this study. What kind of a timeline were you working with and what kind of a budget? <laughs> I, I won't go into the budget. Uh, it, it's six figures. It was a, a, a reasonably large budget for a project like this, um, but we got a lot out of it. The um, the timeline was was a challenge um, because 
as you can imagine, when you're steering a project through so many different people that need to have approval, not only to get them interested in, in sponsoring in the beginning, but getting them to write the check and to, to make the commitment from a financial standpoint, it just takes time. There's a lot of levels. There's a lot of going back. There's a, what are we going to get out of this, and is there any way that this in any way, you know, would would you know, put me at a disadvantage, and the answer is no. It's about magazines. It's not about individual magazines. And we very much from the beginning um, were committed that this was not about somebody wins and somebody loses. It's about everyone wins by telling the story that needs to be told with a message that needs to be heard. And the uh, the effort went forward um, somewhat slower than I'd hoped and expected. Um, and we had the Hispanic Summit um, that you know, the MPA uh, does, and it was down in Miami, and we needed to, it was earlier this year than it had been, so we needed to try to do some top-line reporting at that session before we went out and did a rather extensive, it was a, a nine-stop roadshow around the country. Um, so we were working with a date that wasn't going to move um, with a project that was slowly moving, and fortunately, uh, much of it was due to Lou and Sinovate's, um being able to work with us on that, that he literally, I mean, this is a great story, he literally was on a plane that was delayed going down to Miami writing the presentation off of data that had closed in the field temporarily just a, a day or two before so that we could show top-line data in Miami and then go back in the field and finish the remaining 15-20% uh, of the job, I guess, that still was in the field, and he went to multiple uh, interviewing centers in order to kind of get the first part of it done quickly and we really put all the stops out to do it but we got the top line it lined up very much with the final results ultimately we did it with indices so that we didn't have percentages that people would grab onto and we were concerned of getting numbers in the press that would be possibly supplemented with other numbers later on and the confusion and all of that but it worked very well and we were able to showcase and get the enthusiasm for the project that helped us make the you know, the roadshow as successful as it was. And that whole process from getting the buy-in to completing and being able to to finalize the roadshow, how long did that take? Well, it started early in the year. I think it was uh, we were talking to people maybe February. Um, I, get, I don't remember exactly when we um, – gave you the job, Lou. Do you remember? I think it was around May, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And we turned it around pretty quickly after that. It, it moved very quickly. It was, you know, of course, done by telephone, so you have some efficiencies there in timing. Um, but it still takes a while to get 900 interviews done and, and, and another uh, 200 uh, in the general market, 250. So it, it was a pretty big project as far as phone interviewing goes. Who were the people who responded to the survey, and how did you select them? The way we worked the study was we had we started off with a, a panel that Cinevate maintains. We have a Hispanic panel of over 13,000 names that we created for our clients in terms of efficiency of being able to reach consumers accurately and, and quickly and in a representative fashion. So one of the things we did, we immediately went to the panel first and started using that. And because of, of the specificity of the questions, it was about magazine readership, um, we wanted to make sure we had enough names of actual magazine readers and then if they weren't magazine readers, we could fill in on that on, on sort of the back end. So it was a process where we uh, started off the panel, filled our quotas there, and then we actually had to move to a uh, Hispanic surname list, which is the, the commonly used method of, of telephone interviewing for Hispanics, and then fed into that to, uh, to get more names. So it, it was a process. And then for the general market, those were much easier because uh, we also maintain a general market panel as well, so we were able to, to utilize that as well. Essentially, if I'm understanding correctly, there were two different groups that responded to the survey, general market, non-Hispanics, and Hispanics. 
Yes, it was important yes. to to compare the Hispanic market to the general market. That's where a lot of the uh, the questioning was going to come from. Is okay if if that's what you found in this market, is that good or bad? How does that compare to the general market? So we needed to do a sur survey that was able to be compared to a, a smaller sample, since we weren't looking for uh, the depth and richness of the general market that we needed. We just needed a barometer to compare it to. Out of the 901 respondents, how many were general market? Uh, 250. Oh, not of the 901. The 901 were all Hispanic. There was an additional 250 general market respondents. How did you narrow down your selection from the Hispanic panel of 13,000 and the Hispanic surname list to end up with 901? Was it people who responded to a query? Was it those who were magazine readers? How did you narrow the field? I can answer it partially in, in general. I wasn't, I'm not uh, as involved in the day-to-day -day telephone sampling issues. That happened because that's, that's rather a dynamic process and there are people who do particularly that. But just speaking in generally, what we did was <clears throat> was basically trying, the first question was to ask magazine readership and the easiest, you have quotas, sort of soft quotas that you're trying to fill and the easiest one to fill is that if you weren't a magazine reader. So that quota got filled and then we started looking for the magazine readers. and. They could be done concurrently, and once once one is filled, then you kind of can concentrate on getting those Hispanic magazine readers. And that's, you know, as the survey went on, that was the one we were trying to fill up to make sure we had enough. Now, when you talk about Hispanic magazine readers, are we talking about Hispanics who read magazines, or is it Hispanics who read Hispanic magazines? Good question. That's exactly, it's the latter. And the question in terms of magazine readership is, have you read or looked into uh, a Hispanic magazine um, in the last six months? And the quota was you had to, to be a magazine reader, you had to have read at least two or more in the last six months. And the way we defined Hispanic magazines is a magazine targeted towards Hispanics that's either in English or Spanish. So to get to Wayne's point of, of earlier, to make sure that we're capturing, you know, both the Spanish language and the English language, uh, Hispanic magazines. <laughs> what incentives did the participants have to respond to the surveys? Were they were they receiving a compensation of some form, or how do you get them to participate? Sure. In terms of in terms of the panel members. They're recruited to the panel, and they know that, that they're eligible to participate in sample, a few samples per year. We have a specific amount that they can do no more than. So at any point in time, some people are ineligible as a result of having recently taken a survey. And they're compensated. I, I'm not at liberty to say the exact compensation per interview, but we definitely do compensate them. Um, and so that's the panel portion. And then for the, the surname portion as well, there is compensation as well, um, yeah, where we make arrangements with them and, and let them know that, that that's available. Once you determine, so you, you have these individuals who are on the phone and have said, yes, I have read two Hispanic magazines or more in the last six months, what did you ask them then? Oh, then we just got into their uh, readership habits. Um, in in general, there were a battery of questions that we were able to ask of of almost everyone in the sense of their interest in. I'm sorry, not their interest in, but in their consumption of specific media. So we asked them in terms of general, just how much media they watched, how much TV how much radio they listened to, how much time they spent with magazines, how much time they spent on the Internet, just to get an overall sense of their their media usage. And then from there, for the magazine readers in specific, we were able to hone in on specific values in terms of some of these engagement questions that 
that Wayne mentioned that came out of previous work that the MPA had done. So a lot of what we were doing was was trying to, to piggyback off of some existing research and leverage that for this market. Was In many ways, we actually um, uh, validated earlier work that we did that didn't have as uh, deep a sample framework um, as we were collecting um, Hispanics as just part of a demographic profile from the earlier work. In this case, we had a, a much stronger sample, and we were able to validate some of the early work with a, a much more comprehensive um, database that we came up with from this study here. Were the respondents a, a cross-section in terms of socio-demographic characteristics, in other words, their income level, their educational level, their geographic location, or were there particular areas where they were concentrated? No. In, in general, what we do was with the panel set up, the way it's set up is, is that it's a representative overall geographically. Um, by income, by education. I mean, you you set that up so that it is a truly representative sample nationally, and with 13,000 names, you can certainly do that. As we get down to, you know, the 900, uh, there may be some greater concentrations than others. We haven't analyzed the data in terms of that because, again, what kind of the message we've been going out with is, this is uh, a study of the entire market, so it's representative overall of the entire market. We know that the basic demos do still line up, but we haven't gotten detailed in terms of specific market analyses, just because I think in particular with this study, it isn't as relevant. Were the questions in English or in Spanish, or could the respondents pick a language that they preferred? They could definitely do the language that they preferred. Um, and that's standard for all of our uh, Hispanic studies where you want to get both sides of the market. And the interviewer, the way it works is the interviewer will start either in English or Spanish and then based on the respondent's response, which language appropriately. Was there a group that was higher in terms of percentages? Definitely. The Spanish respondents... Um, 78% responded in Spanish and 22% responded in English. How many interviewers were you were participating in the process? That varied from time to time. I don't have the total. Generally, the way we operate our phone centers, we have at any point in time, we can, as Wayne mentioned, we in the beginning of the study, we were heavying up to complete enough samples so that I could present the data at, at a kickoff meeting for, um, for this study's purpose. And we tried to do as much as possible then. So at, at, at one point, we were using three calling centers. And in a calling center, you can have anywhere from about 15 to 30 people calling at any one time, and sometimes there are multiple studies, So, and you have people dedicated to certain studies, but the point being is that the more calling centers you're using at once, the more people you have calling on it. So it's, it's a moving target, and, and I don't have the precise number of how many, how many people ultimately were used to call. Uh, it's not it's not a, a common metric. I mean, we have the total number of completes, the total number of trials, and things like that. Um, I would just it would take me a little time to get at at that type of data. Probably safe to say more than usual. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> given, given the the need to kind of front load the the uh, interviewing as best we could, and it, it it worked very well. We were able to get a lot of it in earlier, and then had the luxury of completing it after the uh, initial presentation? Basically, what we do is we, we order sample of what it's called for the phone centers, and each phone center gets gets lists of names of people to call, and they just start running through them. And oftentimes, it's mechanical initially in terms of the dialing and the initial call to see if somebody actually picks up. And then when someone picks up, it goes to an interviewer. And then they start the conversation, and they see if 
you know, how far they can get, where either the respondent will say, I'm not interested, or they may not finish the entire call, and then ideally they complete the call, and then, and then they move on to the next one. So each, that's part of the management of the study, is that managing the list of available names. And as, and as a study winds down, your, your list of names starts to go down as well, and that's when you start to pull down to just one calling center then so that it can be completed. Um, because you don't want a calling center to run out of names, basically, and especially if you're pushing, because then again, it's we have people who manage these calling centers, and they're and as I mentioned, they're doing sometimes multiple jobs, and it's their job to be sort of the traffic cop and say, okay, we're dialing this study from this time to this time, you know, you'll be here, and then we'll have another break, we'll dial again, and so they they set up the times and the amounts, and and there's. That's a whole subspecialty within research. What would you say, this this question is for both of you, what would you say were the biggest challenges or the biggest challenge? Um, I guess in the sense of the, the overall project, I've, I've been involved now in, in two or three of these uh, coalition-type uh, research projects where uh, multiple members get together and, and decide to fund and do something and they're always a challenge uh, just doing the the political nature of it all uh, moving it through getting consensus uh, and, and I, I I gotta say this was probably the the best in the sense of um, people had a, a mission that they really felt strongly about they needed to tell a story that hadn't been told and they very much uh, came together in agreement on the right way to do it. Um, we, you know, again, steered the project from the standpoint of here's how we would do it, here's the thoughts. And they were very much involved in, in you know, um, getting to a consensus very quickly. So while these things are always difficult to administer and, and carry out, um, i, I got to say this one worked better than most. Um, so it was a challenge, but it was a rewarding one. I think we, we got where we wanted to be. We've delivered on every aspect of what we had promised as a facilitator. And from what I understand from all of the, the sponsors, they're very thrilled and uh, with what we've delivered and, and want to do things as a group going forward. So hopefully the, the uh, Hispanic Magazine Coalition will be established as a as a part of the MPA going forward, and a group of um, of member companies, and we'll need to sign up a couple of you know need to get involved with the MPA, um, but they seem willing to do that and wanting to do that. And I think we've we've added some members, and we've also served a a valuable need, and and you know conducted a, a really good piece of research um, that I think is going to be acted upon. If I could just add to that, um, I think on, on my end, a lot of it was establishing some credibility and uh, and making sure that everybody felt that their needs were being met through the questionnaire development process. I think Wayne did an excellent job of, of bringing everybody together and shepherding this project. And, and then um, as we started to get involved, you know, at times there were some questions, uh, about the types of questions we were asking the asking and making sure we were asking them in the right way I think was was uh, a concern and and it was good I think ultimately it led to a better survey in terms of having um, a diverse group of people being involved in looking at it and everybody at times it is challenging to sort of corral and, and, and get everyone together but when you do I think it's stronger as a result because you have so many different viewpoints and everybody's making sure that their point of view is being heard. And again, from the receiving end, um, you, you feel pretty comfortable when something has been vetted through 10 different uh, organizations that all say, yeah, I, I can agree with this. That's, that, that's a good way of presenting, presenting it. Um, you really, it isn't that, you know, well, you said and he said and I, you know, where it's one fighting the other all the time. I think that's one of the issues that we we've had in the general market that's so difficult is is uh, we need this kind of spirit of coalition and we're trying to do it in the general market as well with the uh, magazine marketing coalition um, this is in many ways uh, the poster child for that effort 
where you had 10 competitors, uh, essentially, that got together, uh, personally funded an effort in their interest, saw it through with all the aspects of what it needs to, to get this accomplished, um, and it's been a huge success. And, and I, I think the measure of success is best by the people who rally and say, you know, we ought to talk about what comes next. What's the next step that we need to, to take in this, this journey, and how do we do it together rather than individually? That, that's pretty powerful. What were your findings? Well, I'll let Lou do the specifics, but we clearly found, I think, as an overview, that Hispanics seem to uh, connect with magazines in a rather unique and, and richly emotional way, um, that there's a deep engagement with the content um, of a magazine, and Hispanics see the advertising as a part of that content, not as an interruption or an intrusion, as we see uh, in, in many media experiences, um, and that's kind of unique. Um, I, I think they're not as jaded. They haven't, uh, you know, probably got enough uh, targeted advertising to them that they're they're starting to think about ways to uh, get away from it, as the general market is. I think there's a bigger challenge for advertising right now in the general market than there is in the Hispanic, but I think we'll get there in this market as well. It's just a unique time to be able to celebrate that um, that advertising provides information that is receptive um, by Hispanics, and they really uh, act upon it. Uh, they approach magazines in a very aspirational, educational, and informational way. Um, it's very information-generating. Um, it's a process that they're very receptive to the content, again, both the advertising and the edit. Um, and there's a I think an important aspect of cultural relevance that seemed to come through as well, and I'll I'll turn it over to Lou for the specifics on some of this. Um, but it 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 is a different market, and uh, we were able to document that pretty well. And I think the engagement portion of it um, is going to be acted upon for a good long time to come because it's a, it's a hot area right now in in the general market as well as the Hispanic market. Yes, just to piggyback off of what Wayne was saying is in terms of that that level of engagement was very exciting to see the the difference in the passion and it, it you know the the thing I think we all come away with is that this this is a result I think of of a targeted communication um that enthusiasm exists we feel fairly strongly that it's a result of someone speaking directly to an audience that isn't always addressed. And so as a result, there is a halo effect, and it even carries over to those Hispanics who are, you know, spending most of their time communicating in English as well. Um, the power of targeted communi communications um, comes through very strongly in the data in terms of, of how they use things. Some of the differences, I think, um, between the general market and Hispanics that came up, well, the one in addition to what Wayne mentioned is sort of that emotional connection, uh, is this idea of also a social connection. Um, with Hispanics, it's, and this is pointing out a cultural difference, I think, that's significant is in terms of how they view magazines. It's sort of the way I describe it as um, the general market has a, a me and mine attitude, whereas Hispanics have a, a we and ours attitude. It's, it's an individual versus a group mentality, and, and magazines are useful in the sense of, you know, helping them see people like themselves, but as well as sharing. It's something they clearly said. There's a statement saying, I like to have the magazine around so that others may read it. The numbers were 26% higher than the general market. So it's, it's an idea of this is something that's part of the house, that when guests come, this is something that they could share. It's about conversation, something they can talk about with other people, uh, definitely used to facilitate communication and interaction. So that was something that, that was uh, an important finding. In terms of where magazines are being read, um, some interesting differences there as well. Uh, one of the, the largest places they're, they're being read outside of the home is, is at a beauty parlor or a barber shop. 
and this is a significant difference in the market in, in terms of the types of things that happen in beauty parlors and barbershops for Hispanics are in terms of how their places of, of socializing and relaxation and, and how there are places to kind of hang out rather than just get your hair cut and leave. And to see that magazines are part of that experience, that was, again, validation of, of things people have said in the market for a while. And to see it on a, on a study this large is, 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 is encouraging. In terms of looking at how Hispanics relate to magazines vis-a-vis -vis other media, and we found that numbers for entertaining overall were on par with television. In terms of advice, magazines came out ahead versus TV, radio, and Internet. Providing useful information, again, magazines came out higher versus TV, radio, and Internet, and making me smarter, the same thing. So, you know, on that knowledge and information side, there's definitely powerful support behind magazines as, you know, a powerful part. You know, even going back perhaps to this idea of a media mix, it's, 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 it's suggesting that magazines are giving something in that area a bit more than other media do. Um, and also, as Wayne mentioned, in terms of the whole relationship to advertising, to his point, yeah, there's, there appears to be a less jaded sense towards advertising because they, they trust it more. They tend to believe it a little bit more and finding it useful. So the relationship to advertising, I mean, that, that's really where the Hispanic part of it is sort of almost off the charts. I mean, 73% are saying that magazine advertising entertains me versus 28% of the general market. And again, it's that, I think it's the, the power of targeted communications is that they're, they're not as jaded and they're impressed that someone is taking time to speak to them directly, whereas I think the challenge in the general market of doing that, communicating directly to someone, is much more difficult uh, when you can do something like, you know, being Hispanic in that same sense. Um, so liking magazine, advertising, trusting it, uh, those were all, you know, very, very strong numbers there, which was, I think, almost more than, than we expected. Wouldn't you say that, Wayne? I mean, I was sort yes. of surprised the the degree. I had heard that, but seeing it. Yeah, the comparison to the general market, I think, was, was really uh, one of the things that, that was in the high, if you will, or surprise to me um, to the extent that it was. Uh, I, I, you know, fully expected the acculturation levels to be different in what they were. But when we started looking at, at the comparisons of the general market to the Hispanic market, it, it really kind of documented what I had heard that you know that you know the whole jaded thing, um, and it really put into a perspective the uh, the opportunities uh, to partner with your reader or your viewer, if it happens to be television, and to take advantage of that openness to communicate and, and not to um, short-circuit that in a way that I think the general market is, is heading. You mentioned acculturation, and Lou, earlier you talked about the the very high percentage of Spanish-dominant, less acculturated respondents. What conclusions can you draw from these responses from 900 individuals in relation to the overall market of 44 million, including the more acculturated segments and the youth market, which is very much English dominant and more likely to read in English, for example? I think with by acculturation, definitely in terms of looking at that with magazine readership, the more acculturated group is definitely tending to be more like the general market. That's definitely something we see in terms of how they perceive. Though in terms of, of even magazine advertising, their numbers were still quite a bit higher than the general market. And, and that's sort of reinforcing what it 
what I said a couple times about the, the power of targeted communications, even though they are mostly comfortable existing in English, when they see, you know, magazine advertising, they're, they're still more impressive. There's still something about it that grabs them and, and, and connects with them. And I think through this media, it's there's a strong connection there that, that is what it's suggesting. And in terms of the youth market coming up, I mean, one of the one of the things I just like to say in general that that's often touted about this market is that there that it's going to go away because as people are here longer, that it will all slide over towards English. And I think what what that thought takes into fails to take into account is the impact of immigration that's going to continue. And a lot of the immigrants who are coming are, are, are fairly young. A lot of times they're in their 20s and they're here for opportunities. And that net inflow isn't going to stop anytime soon. I know there's legislation. I mean, it's certainly determined by, by politics and, and uh, enforcement, if you will. Um, but it's definitely not going away. So I think what will happen is that, again, this, there will be a larger group of Hispanics who are more comfortable communicating in English, but there's still going to be a very strong part of the market that conducts their lives mainly in Spanish. And also, too, there there's also something that, that happens is even though people sometimes do spend a lot of their time in English, culturally they're still very connected to their Hispanic roots to the extent where, again, someone can be perfectly you know, what we call bicultural, if you will, but still spending a lot of time in Spanish language media just for affinity's sake. And so it's it's kind of something that goes back and forth. And I think this this research will continue to have resonance, you know, for, for quite some time, um, even as the population changes and, and generations start to be here a little bit longer. Um, because I think what's happened is, too, there's, now a critical mass in terms of Hispanic media um, that make it easier for someone to maintain kind of the best of both worlds if that's what they really want to do. Wayne, in terms of MPA and the Hispanic Magazine Coalition, what impact do the results of the survey have and what changes, if any, do you anticipate? Well, we, we, we've talked about that and, and we're going to try to put some things in place to, to monitor that. Um, the, the first step is, obviously, when you do a group effort like this, is the group happy? Uh, did they get what they paid for, and, and do they feel it was an accomplishment? Um, we're going to do a, a post-evaluation in, in about a month um, and get the group together and say, okay, you know, what have you heard? What, you know, has happened differently as a result of this? Um, the early read I'm getting from individuals is that the sponsors are very happy with what they uh, have seen from this, uh, and they very much want to continue some sort of an organization going forward to to keep in touch and see if there's things that should be done next. The other part of what we're going to do is more of a formal, um, assuming that we are able to um, capture a little bit of savings uh, from the end of this or get money from the sponsors to do it, and, and we could probably do it very inexpensively, a um, kind of a... Uh, a read on the um, folks who responded to the presentation. Um, we were able to um, get a merge purge of the names from all of the uh, publication companies of the people that they invited to the various presentations around the country. So to go back to a sample of those folks and ask them, uh, are they more likely or less likely to put more magazines or greater share of their media budget into magazines next year than they did last year? so that we have sort of a tracking study going forward. Um, and the third way, obviously, is, is to look at performance. Um, is the share of the pie for magazines greater uh, next year than it was this year? And as you know, we'll certainly take credit for uh, moving that needle. <laughs> um, as a result of this research, if, if in fact it does increase, and hopefully from year to year we will track and, and continue efforts uh, in the common good to 
to get more awareness of magazines and the and the role that they serve. Uh, it's not all about broadcast. There there's certainly room for magazines, and as we found in the general market, the best mix is a good healthy mix of both TV and print, not television or print alone. And clearly, we feel that that magazines are underspent. It, it's about three or four percent of the media pie for magazines in the Hispanic market, and that compares to about 17 percent in the general market. So I think there's there's lots of room to grow the percent of magazines in the mix and, and to uh, hopefully celebrate that success over the next few years. I know you shared the result of the survey with the audience in different cities across the country. Are these results available somewhere online for our listeners who want more details? Yes, they're available to everyone on our website. Um, if you go to uh, www.magazine.org, O-R-G, slash Hispanic Mag, M-A-G, Coalition, you can get right into the full presentation that Lou presented in nine cities around the country. Um, everything that was in that presentation is, is here as well. And one of the uh, important decisions we made as a group where people said, you know, maybe we should keep this like just for the sponsors and so forth, where our feeling was the more missionaries you have accessing the data and spreading the word, the more likely you're going to be able to achieve your goal with people um, changing the way they do things. So the feeling was that uh, while it's available to slice and dice in a bunch of different ways, and it, we actually have a software program that will um, effectively this week um, start cross-tabbing literally everything in the study so that you can take a look at individual custom runs, those would be available only from the, the 10 sponsoring companies. But the ability to look at the top-line data that we've talked about today and that uh, Lou has presented around the country is available to everyone, and it's on the MPA website as, again, the media-neutral spot to get it. And what was that web address again? I know it was long. www.magazine.org. That gets you into the site, and it's Hispanic Mag Coalition. Or they can go to uh, the research section where it says find research on the, on the uh, magazine.org site as well. Well, thank you, Wayne and Lou, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Lou Lopez, Vice President of Diversity Practice at Sinovate, and Wayne Eady, Vice President at the Magazine Publishers of America, brought to you by Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com, providing you essential information on America's largest minority. Please share your comments, suggestions, questions, or ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicMPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com. For more information on how to reach Hispanics with marketing and public relations tools, visit our resources section at www.hispanicmpr.com. That's www.hispanicmpr.com.